Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. So the other day while watching TV, I saw a Got Milk commercial. You've seen these. They're on once in a while. But for some reason, this one really stood out, since it seemed to be even more deceptive, if that's possible, than the other milk commercials I've seen. And whether it's milk, it does a body good, or the real milk, or got milk, I have to say that I think the dairy commercials are the most deceptive of all. And I don't have to tell you the advertisers are in the business to make money and do not necessarily have the consumer welfare at heart or are in your best interest. So why am I talking about milk commercials on an animal show? Because believe it or not, the practices of most dairy farms are more distressing to the animals than those of meat production. I'm going to say that again. The practices of most dairy farms are more distressing to the animals than those of meat production. Many of us out there believe that cows aren't killed for milk or cheese, so it must be okay. I used to believe that. I used to believe this for many years before I was a vegan. During the years when I was a vegetarian, I was still consuming milk products like cheese. I believed, like many do, that the animal doesn't have to die to give us milk, so therefore it must be okay. This is probably the biggest myth about the dairy industry. Believe me when I tell you that cows on most dairy farms are not the happy cows the industry makes them out to be. And with so many non-dairy alternatives now, consumers have a choice. But actually today, I'm not going to talk about the cruelty inherent in the production of milk, and I'm not going to talk about the immense suffering of the cows on factory farms. What I'm going to talk about are the health concerns related to consuming dairy products. Because many Americans, including some vegetarians, still consume substantial amounts of dairy products. And as you know, they are still widely promoted, not only by the industry, which is expected, but the government as well. And despite scientific evidence that strongly questions their health benefits and indicates their potential health risks. So let me tell you about this commercial I saw. You hear the music and you see these consecutive black screens with written words. So the first screen reads, she's growing like a weed, hopefully. Next screen, he's becoming strong as an ox, perhaps. Next screen, you're serving enough milk, probably not. Then you hear a woman's voice saying, one out of two kids don't get enough calcium, vitamin D, and potassium. Make sure your kid isn't one of them. One simple way, three servings of real milk a day. Serve real milk at mealtime. Now, most of the information I'm going to relay to you today comes from the organization Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, or PCRM. PCRM is a nonprofit organization that claims to promote, quote, optimal diet for prevention of disease, and that they combine the clout and expertise of more than 12,000 physicians. And some of their priorities include bringing nutrition into medical education and practice, conducting clinical research on healthful diets that build the foundation for the role of nutrition in medicine, educating, empowering people to take control of their health through Kickstart, Food for Life, and other nutrition programs. So they're the real deal. And we've had numerous representatives, physicians, and nutrition experts from the organization on the show in the past. So let's begin by talking about the most pervasive milk myth of all, and that is milk builds strong bones. This simply is false. Science does not support this. 
One large-scale study out of Harvard followed 72,000 women for 18 years. And what did it show? Well, those women who consumed the most milk were just as likely to suffer a hip fracture as those who avoided milk, meaning no evidence that drinking milk can prevent bone fractures or osteoporosis. And it's not just in women. There are other studies to support this claim in men. And the study that must have really scared the dairy industry was the one published in the Archives of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine in 2012. That showed that active children who consumed the largest quantities of milk actually had more bone fractures than those who consumed less. Wow. Milk doesn't actually build strong bones like we grew up to believe it did, like others told us it did like the milk industry always implied that it did and still does. Yes, of course, calcium is an important mineral that helps to keep bones strong. And yes, indeed, calcium is necessary for healthy bones. But the actual amount of calcium needed for this is easily achieved without consuming dairy products. I mean, I can see how one might believe by the misleading promotion of milk products that there's no other way to get adequate calcium in one's diet other than with dairy or its products. And that's also probably the most frequent question vegans are asked after where do you get your protein from is if you don't consume dairy products, where do you get your calcium from? Well, I'll tell you, plants, plant foods such as kale, broccoli, other leafy green vegetables, beans, and lentils, they're loaded with calcium, whole wheat products, dried fruit, nuts and seeds, almonds. I bet you didn't think almonds are loaded with calcium, did you? Also, I consume a lot of calcium-fortified products such as breakfast cereals and juices. By the way, soy milk and fortified orange juice provides about the same amount of calcium per serving as milk or other dairy products. Did you know that it's possible to decrease the risk of osteoporosis by reducing sodium intake in your diet? You rarely hear this kind of very helpful information. In addition, exercise is one of the most effective ways to increase bone density and decrease the risk of osteoporosis. And the benefits of exercise have been observed in studies of both children and adults. And of course, you need vitamin D to help with the absorption of calcium. So where do you get your vitamin D? The best natural source of vitamin D is sunlight. Sometimes it just takes only less than 15 minutes of sun exposure to the extremities, hands, and face to be enough to meet the body's requirements for vitamin D. And it depends on the person's skin tone, and it depends on where you live. And during the winter months, you might not get enough from the sun alone, so your diet must provide it. I personally take a vitamin D supplement because few foods naturally contain vitamin D, and you should know that no dairy products naturally contain vitamin D. You can get vitamin D through fortified cereals and grains, bread, orange juice, and soy milk. But like I said, I take a vitamin D supplement, a vegan one, of course. And by the way, finding vegan supplements or vitamins can sometimes be very challenging as many, or most, I should say, contain ingredients derived from animals. For example, gelatin which is a flavorless food ingredient derived from collagen obtained from various animal body parts, is often the capsule of many supplements. Another example is some calcium supplements are made from oyster shells. But the vegan supplements are out there. And don't be fooled. Remember, the terms organic or natural doesn't necessarily mean vegan. 
Okay, so we talked about calcium. We talked about vitamin D. How about potassium? Because remember in the commercial, it says one out of two kids don't get enough calcium, vitamin D, and potassium, one simple way, three servings of real milk a day. Potassium is an extremely important mineral the body needs, so it's definitely worth mentioning. And from the commercial, one might think it might be difficult to meet your daily potassium requirements if you don't drink milk. I will tell you, it's difficult to have a dietary deficiency of potassium since potassium comes in a wide variety of foods you probably already eat. I mean, you would have to really avoid all the fruits and vegetables to be deficient in potassium. Potassium-rich foods include bananas, oranges, orange juice, raisins, cooked spinach, mushrooms, sweet potatoes, potatoes, avocados, tomatoes. You certainly don't need milk to satisfy your dietary potassium needs. So you need to know that this notion that milk is essential to support bone health is simply just wrong. So are there any health benefits of milk? After all, milk does a body good, right? Wrong. Did you know there's a link between consumption of dairy products and cancer? Most significantly, dairy product consumption has been linked to increased risk for prostate and breast cancers. Another, milk and other dairy products are the top sources of artery-clogging saturated fat in the American diet. Milk also contains cholesterol. And as you know, diets high in saturated fat and cholesterol increases the risk of heart disease. Insulin-dependent diabetes, or type 1 diabetes, is linked to consumption of dairy products in infancy. And then let's not forget the numerous contaminants in milk, which range from hormones to pesticides and other toxins. Antibiotics are often given to cows for certain conditions and inflammations they suffer from due to dairy product practices, which have cows producing much more milk than nature intended. And how about all the other contaminants found in milk products, like melamine, often found in plastics, which negatively affect the kidneys and urinary tract. Furthermore, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that infants below one year of age not be given whole cow's milk. And we now know that breastfeeding mothers can have colicky babies if the mother consumes cow's milk. The cow's antibodies can pass through the mother's bloodstream into her breast milk and then to the baby. Also, did you know that more than 60% of people are lactose intolerant? What does that mean? Well, lactose, the milk sugar, needs to be digested properly by an enzyme lactase. And if you're lactose intolerant, you can't digest lactose because your small intestine doesn't make enough lactase. So what happens if you eat or drink dairy products, you can get a variety of uncomfortable symptoms, including bloating, diarrhea, gas, nausea, abdominal cramping. It seems to me, if we were meant to consume lactose or milk, we would all naturally have the enzyme lactase needed to digest it. But that's the thing. Milk is not natural for us to consume. I mean, cow's milk might be natural and ideal for growing baby cows, but fully grown humans drinking secretions from another species is not natural. So bottom line, milk and dairy products are definitely not necessary in the diet and can, in fact, be harmful to one's health. Thanks for tuning into the show. Don't go away. More with animals today, right after the break. Hey, 
Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and thanks for listening to Animals Today. Not only can you find us on your radio dial, but you can also listen to the show by going to animalstodayradio.com, or you can subscribe to the Apple Podcast on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Facebook and join the conversation. Animals Today is brought to you by the animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And consider making a donation to help support the show. And thank you for your interest and your support. Welcome back to the show. So in the last segment, I spoke about the deceptive advertising of milk and this notion that milk and dairy products are essential to support bone health is simply false. And I have to tell you, I really can't mention dairy products without talking just for a couple minutes about one of the most consumed dairy products in America, and that is cheese. Americans love cheese. According to a recent study, Americans are eating 23 pounds of cheese each year, triple the amount consumed in 1970. The average American eats 60,000 calories worth of cheese each year. According to a Boar's Head survey, 87% of respondents would give up either coffee, chocolate, or alcohol before giving up cheese. Also, half of these respondents rank cheese as their first or second favorite food. Here are a few facts about cheese. Typical cheeses are 70% fat, most of which is saturated fat or the bad fat. Cheese is the number one source of saturated fat in the American diet today. Most cheese contains estrogens because dairy cows are pregnant most of the year. Cheese is thought by many to be addictive. Now, I briefly spoke about the addictive nature of cheese on the show about a month or so ago, but very briefly, the main protein in cheese is casein. And when you digest this milk protein, casein, you get a product called casomorphine. Casomorphine, like morphine, triggers the opioid effect in the brain. You know that feeling of pleasure and euphoria? Hence, dependency can develop and it's hard to give up. So now, Peter, I have a craving for a vegan cheese pizza. I do, too. Do you? Yeah. Okay. It's a psychological craving, though. I know. And, Lori, here's a little bit more about milk, okay? And in particular, the use of the word itself, milk. The battle is heating up between dairy farmers and the dairy industry on one side, and on the other side, the makers of products coming from soy and almonds and other nuts over the use of the word milk. The dairy industry wants to reserve the word milk for its dairy products exclusively. They say that using terms like soy milk and almond milk is improper and deceptive, and furthermore, that it is fraudulent. Fraudulent because consumers would be led to believe that they are getting the nutritional value in dairy, and they are actually not getting it. They're getting something inferior. That's their explanation for the fraud. Well, who gets to decide? It is U.S. Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. He has indicated that he's aware of this simmering problem for a while, and it's time to get some resolution here. And he's tipped his hand a little bit, and it seems like he is leaning toward favoring the dairy industry and its use of the term milk. 
So now there are hearings that have been held, and there is a period for comments to be provided from individuals and from the industry. Now, to put this into a little bit sharper context, the dairy industry is shrinking. Dairy farms are going out of business at an unprecedented rate. And the rise of alternatives, well, everyone sees that. There's soy products and almond products and rice products and cashew products all saying that they are a kind of milk and they like that term also. So who's going to get to own the term milk? It's a hot topic. A statement from the American Dairy Coalition noted that it's crucial for the dairy industry to speak up. We can no longer stand by, it states, to allow plant-based beverages to be labeled as milk. The consumers, they claim, are confused. On the other side of the fence, you've got an organization called Good Food Institute that's based in Washington, D.C., and they claim it's a free speech issue and that there's no way that people are really being misled by the use of the word milk. When you buy soy milk, no one thinks that they're getting anything except for soy-based beverage. And what did they think? The consumers are stupid? Yes. Well, that's what they're saying. They're just trying to protect their turf. Their world is shrinking as these alternatives are becoming more and more popular. And of course, we know they're healthier, so... It's an interesting uh, little battle here, Lori. Well, regarding the deceptive nature of naming alternative milk products, I mean, if you follow that silly logic, why not apply that to cashew ice cream or soy ice cream or vegan hot dogs or vegan hamburgers? That's right. There are lots of similar examples, including nut butter. Can you say this is a nut butter? Can't use the word butter. Who owns the word butter? A lot of battles ahead of us. Okay, and I've got one other personal feeling about this, and I think this is going to end up being much ado about nothing. I think the word milk is not as valuable as the dairy industry thinks it is. I think a decade from now, no one's going to even want to use the word milk. That's what I think. And Lori, speaking of nuts, I have to share this uh, somewhat related story with you, okay? Yep. Okay. In a flight that was destined to go to Cleveland recently, a woman... Well, she brought her emotional support squirrel 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 on board. And I don't know who allowed her to get onto the plane with the squirrel. But once it was realized that she was there, she was she was asked to leave and she declined. She she and her squirrel said, "Uh uh-uh, we're staying here with our nuts. And well, the police had to come and they had to get everyone off the plane and get this crazy gal Even though the squirrel might have had a vest, you know, it's just no rodents are allowed on planes, emotional support or not. And really, what is she trying to do? You know, do you really want to bring your rodent on a plane? I'd rather sit next to a squirrel than many of the passengers I see flying on planes. Okay, I I happen to agree with you, but I mean, is the squirrel, does the squirrel have a diaper or, you know, squirrels do things. You can't control elimination of squirrels. So I have to draw the line. No rodents. Even cute ones. Okay, enough of this. More with animals today after the break. Do you know what declawing is? People often mistakenly believe that declawing is a simple procedure that removes a cat's nails. Sadly, this is far from the truth because declawing is actually a painful surgery in which the last bone of each toe is amputated, including skin, tendons, and nerves. If performed on a person, it would be like amputating each finger at the last joint. 
Besides the immediate risk of surgery, like infection and bleeding, the pain cat's experience continues long after the surgery, preventing them from walking normally and leading to arthritis. Often, after declawing, cats will stop using their litter boxes, choosing carpet, beds, or piles of clothing instead. And without their claws, their first line of defense, many declawed cats will feel stressed and begin biting. Plus, if your cat happens to get outside, she'll need her claws to defend herself from other animals. Most people get their cats declawed to try to prevent unwanted scratching and damage to furniture. But scratching is a natural behavior that is important for cats. Declawed cats cannot stretch or knead normally. Why would anyone want to take that away from a cat? The bottom line is declawed cats can suffer lifelong discomfort and disability. It's not difficult to modify the scratching behaviors of a cat, such as having a few sturdy scratching posts around the house and using toys and catnip to encourage their use. Did you know that many countries have banned declawing? And many veterinarians in the U.S. refuse to perform the procedure because it is unnecessary and cruel. So those are the facts about declawing. There's just no reason to do this to your cats. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Welcome back to the show. Do you ever wonder if your dog is at risk of being stolen? You hear about this once in a while. How big a problem is the theft of dogs anyway? We've been wondering about this for quite a while, and uh, I'm pleased to welcome a real expert in this area, Kathy Poblowski. She is director and co-founder of Lost Dogs of Wisconsin and co-director of Lost Dogs of America. Hi, Kathy. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Welcome. So do we have a handle on the scope of dog theft in the United States? How big a problem is this? Well, we think that we do because we take in reports every day all around the country for um, missing dogs. And we take in literally hundreds of reports every day. Mm. But what, what we have found in our eight years of experience at doing this is that when a dog goes missing, people tend to panic. And when they panic, they, uh, they, you know, got unclear thinking. They don't, uh, really think through the whole problem that we like to really approach logically. Um, and they often assume their dog has been stolen. So they report a stolen dog. Um, but then as we work them through the process, we find that their dog really was not stolen after all. And that the dog was simply lost or, um, the other really, really common scenario by far, well, probably our most common scenario is that the dog was picked up by somebody who meant well, meant to keep it out of harm's way, um, and then possibly did the wrong thing by either keeping the dog or rehoming the dog or um, taking the dog to the wrong shelter, things like that. So in the grand scheme of things, when we look at everything at the end of the day, the percentage of stolen dogs is still very, very small. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, because it does, but it's very small. And what, what we define as a stolen dog is that it is a crime of intent. So somebody actually broke into your house, uh, your business, your yard, your car, um, and, and, and took your dog just like they would take your jewelry or your television set or, or whatever. And, and again, that is something that we find that, uh, yes, it does happen, but it does not happen nearly as often as, as the media has led people on to believe. 
Okay, and I have a bit of an example about that because when uh, the media catches, you know, uh, onto when, when somebody reports their dog stolen and it gets put out there in the media, that makes big headlines. And uh, but when that dog is found and it was found that it really was never stolen after all, that is very very rarely reported on. So this, you know, kind of swirls around in people's minds and they assume um, that, you know, that there is this huge problem out there. Um, And I actually look back at an old story that uh, we had actually reported on several years ago um, that the American Kennel Club had put out a press release saying that um, dog napping cases are up by almost 70%. But when you, and that was the headline on the story, and that got spread everywhere. That went to all the, the major networks um, because it came from the American Kennel Club. But when you dug right down into the story, um, they actually, the, the numbers were so small. So they had 432 pet thefts in 2011. And again, this is all across America um, as compared to 255 in 2010. So it was really only like, a, you know, a, a, although it was a percentage wise, it was a big, big increase. It really was not a large number of dogs when you compare that there's about 80 million dogs in the United States. Yeah. Okay. So acknowledging that the much larger problem is dogs getting lost, right? And uh, we talk about that often on the show, particularly around the upcoming holiday like Halloween and all the things you want to do to keep your dog from bolting and things like that. Uh, We do want to just go a little bit more about the theft problem, even if it's smaller than uh, people might think, because it's just so so horrible to contemplate. And there's this video that, that I just came across yesterday that I shared with you of a few dogs, they're in a field uh, behind a fence on a, a, on a country road, and two guys pull up, and one of them just reaches over and grabs the puppy by the scruff of his neck and puts it in the car, and they're they're gone. It was right. shocking. So, can you uh, interpret that video or comment on it? Yes, I saw that video, and yes, it's very troubling. The good thing is, so first of all, we would recommend that if any you know that that happens to anybody, that immediately they file a report police report. And then they do what um, that homeowner, you know, did is look at security footage. And you will be amazed at now how popular security cameras are. And it's very likely that somebody in your neighborhood has a camera that maybe has caught an image of what actually happened to your dog. Um, But then that being said, we have also found that it's sort of like murder when often the uh, person uh, that committed the crime was known to the victim. So we, when we really do know that a dog is stolen, we ask the owner to first of all think close to home. Is there a disgruntled spouse or family member um, or a disgruntled employee, contractor, or somebody that you may owe money to? Um, or even often it can be an unhappy neighbor, unhappy because the dog was barking too much or they didn't like the way that you were caring for the dog. Um, or even um, an animal welfare advocate in the area that didn't feel that you were treating the dog correctly. Yeah. Um, and so those are the places that we steer people to first of all because that's often where that's often what has happened is that um, somebody for whatever reason has a grudge with you and decided that they were going to come and get their come up and spy taking one of your dogs. Again, again, I can't say that is what happened in that video. Um, in that video, you know, if the dog was actually stolen for some sort of uh, profit, then we would um, 
and, and that's what we suspected, then we would recommend that person, of course, file that police report um, and then start checking things like Craigslist, neighborhood groups on, on Facebook, things like that, where um, people could be trying to sell their dog. And is that the usual fate of stolen dogs? Are they uh, sold for profit? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you will hear again, um, really, and again, it's, I, I don't want to say it never happens, but you will hear really, really overblown stories about dogs being stolen for research labs mm-hmm. or for do- dog fighting. Whatever. That very, very seldom happens. Yeah. That, that has really been one of those urban legends that has just gone wildly out of control. Uh, for, for one thing, research labs do not want randomly sourced dogs. They want uh, purebred dogs genetically uh, pure that have been bred specifically for research. They don't want to just buy, you know, dogs off the street. That They don't know the medical history of or what vaccinations it's had, things like that. You that, also hear about dogs uh, being used for fighting training, these bait dogs. That again, that has been, um, there has you know, been some some large organizations looking to that. And again, that's been very, very largely overblown. Again, not saying that it never happens, um, but it's pretty rare. And okay. honestly, we've, we've never come across that in our thousands and thousands of cases here in Wisconsin. Oh, good. I'm glad you're debunking some of these uh, myths for, for all of yeah. us. For the, so the most important being that it's a much smaller uh, problem than we thought. Are there any others that you, you want to mention as we uh, uh, conclude here? I, no, I, I would just say that like, if you think that your dog truly has been stolen, and again, kind of work through that whole scenario first of all, um, you know, because it's much more likely that your dog got out of the fence and somebody picked the dog up and and then, you know, is maybe doing the wrong. And maybe, again, maybe they're going to try to sell it for a profit or whatever, but that's not really a stolen dog. That dog was not, the intent was not to steal the dog. The intent was to keep that dog safe at first and get it off, off of the... Uh, a street, and then they thought, oh, that person really doesn't deserve the dog back because they let it get loose to begin with. So it's it's a lot of, it's really trying to figure out human behavior at that point, which can be very difficult, as I'm sure you know. But if you really, really, really truly believe that your dog was stolen and that you've, you've eliminated all the possibilities of people that you know um, that could have taken your dog for whatever reason, um, then look at, at Craigslist, look at the places where animals are being sold online, and that, that may be where you find them. Do you find that most dogs are microchipped these days, and does that help in this process? It depends on what part of the country. It definitely helps. Definitely helps. But, of course, the animal has to be scanned um, to, for it to help. So, you know, we've had dogs that go missing that um, could live their entire life in another home, I mean, never, ever be taken to be scanned for a microchip. Yeah. Somebody finds the dog and never even thinks to take it to be scanned for a microchip. And most vets do not scan uh, as a regular a part of their services. Um, so somebody, you know, specifically has to have, has to ask to have the, the, the found animal scanned. So, but, but yes, they, it definitely helps reunite dogs and cats with their owners if they're scanned. And the, the, popularity of microchipping is definitely increasing, which is great, um, but it kind of depends on what part of the country you're in, whether you're in a rural area or whether you're in a city, um, because in some places it's just uh, still cost prohibitive um, or not just widely available. Kathy, can you direct our listeners to any of your websites so they can learn more about you and your work? 
Absolutely, we'd love to. So we have our, our website at Lost Dogs of Wisconsin is www.lostdogsofwisconsin.org. And then I um, after we operated for a few years in Wisconsin, we kind of spread out across the country. And now we have put a lot of our resources on a website called Lost Dogs of America, and that's www.lostdogsofamerica.org. Kathy Pablowski, thank you so much for visiting with us on Animals Today and giving us this great info. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Lori, I've got a little uh, SeaWorld financial update for you. Shoot. Okay. Well, SeaWorld Entertainment and its former CEO, you know, they were charged by the SEC for misleading their investors after the film Blackfish came out and attendance started falling. Remember that? This was in 2013 and 2014. Well, they've come to terms and settled, and the company and the former CEO are going to pay more than $5 million in fines to settle the charges. How about that? Of course, in these things, they do not admit or deny the allegations. It just sort of ends the proceedings. And as you recall, what happened is that after the film came out and attendance and profits started falling, the company was denying that it had anything to do with the film. Deny, 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 until they finally admitted that the film had something to do with the decline in revenues. And then the stock price fell about 33%, leading to a loss of about $830 million in shareholder value. Wow. So you can't mess around with the SEC. Now, following all that, I would have told you, this is my opinion here, I would have thought that SeaWorld would have died as a company. I did not think they were going to survive. But they're still around uh, with some uh, modifications, so I'm still not a fan. Well, it's unfortunate they're still hanging in there, but it sure shows you the power of what a good documentary can do, doesn't it? Yes, it does. More with animals today after the break. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and you're listening to Animals Today. I'm proud to say that we are now in our 10th year of continuous weekly broadcasts, bringing you animal welfare and animal rights news and stories from around the globe. You can find us on your radio dial at animalstodayradio.com, or you can subscribe to the Apple Podcast on iTunes. And remember to follow Animals Today on Facebook and join the conversation. So, to stay up to date on the animal issues you care about, to learn from the top leaders and experts, and to discover what you can do to help animals, join us each week. See you then. Welcome back to Animals Today. Peter, I have some animal news to share with you, and I'm going to start out with a tragic story just so we can get it behind us and move on to happier stories. Five lions were poisoned and killed at the South African Wildlife Park, and apparently there were five other lions killed at another South African park a few months back. Very hard to look at the pictures of these 
beautiful animals just lying there dead. Anyway, tainted chicken that was heavily laced with poison was reportedly thrown over an electric fence that surrounded the lions. One lion had its face and paws cut off. Cash reward is being offered for any information. What kind of sick SOB would do such a thing? I mean, I guess there's people out there, including any and all poachers. Gee, that's incredible. And Lori, the authorities don't know really why this happened. Is that right? Correct. Gee. Tragic. Okay, Peter, on a lighter note, every year, as you know, we list the most popular dog and cat names for the year, and typically they're from surveys done in the United States. So I thought it might be interesting and fun to hear some top dog and cat names from a survey done in the UK. Hmm. According to John Lewis Pet Insurance, which is a company based in the UK, they've revealed the most popular names among its customers in 2018, and apparently they're finding pet owners are using human names over the traditional dog and cat names. So top 10 dog names in 2018, Poppy, Bella, Molly, Alfie, Charlie, Daisy, Rosie, Teddy, Lola, and Millie. Okay. Some of those are on the US list, right? You bet they are. Top cat names in 2018, Bella, we've heard that one before, Tilly, Lola, Coco, Daisy, Poppy, Luna, Molly, Rosie, Phoebe. Phoebe. Wow, they're so similar. They are. Wow. Lori, I have a little legal follow-up for you, okay? Do you remember last year in upstate New York, the tragic killing of a woman, Rosemary Bilquist? She was 43. She was like in her backyard, minding her own business, and she was shot by a hunter after dusk. You bet I remember that story. And uh, you interviewed on the December 9th, 2017 show Diane Balkin from ALDF and you guys explored all the legal issues and it's a really good segment. I would recommend people go listen to that to understand the basis of what happened. Well, he was charged with second degree manslaughter and he has just pled guilty to criminally negligent homicide, which is a lesser charge as well as hunting after hours. He is going to be in jail for up to four years. And following his plea, he was led out of the courtroom and taken into custody. Interesting comment from Bill Quist's husband. He said, this has never been about vengeance. This is not what Rosie would have wanted. From the beginning, I wanted the defendant to take responsibility and to be held accountable. I want the next hunter who thinks about shooting after hours to think, there was this guy that went to prison. I should just go home. So that's pretty measured statement in my mind. It sounds like he sort of let the anger go, doesn't it? Four years is not enough time. No, of course not. Peter, have you heard of a professional basketball player for the Miami Heat named Udonis Haslam? <laughs> you know, um, after Magic retired, I sort of gave up following basketball. But okay. So there's a team called the Miami Heat? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, apparently not a great pro basketball player since he averages less than a point per game in 14 appearances last year. Anyway... He's suing a Florida animal hospital for neutering his prized show dog without permission, thus denying this Haslam guy the opportunity to sell his dog's semen. Mm. This poor dog named Juice, who happens to be a breed called the Cane Corso, which is an Italian breed, apparently swallowed a rope. And so the dog was brought to the hospital in Florida for treatment. So the rope was surgically removed by a doctor there, but at the same time, the dog was fixed. 
The lawsuit claims that Haslam had spent $30,000 training Juice to be a guard dog for his home and was also hoping to breed him to sell the puppies and rent them out to other breeders. According to the suit, the castrated Juice is now not suitable to be a guard dog, apparently because he's too calm or not vicious enough, and obviously he's unable to sell the semen. Semen for a top show dog is commonly collected every other day, the lawsuit claims. Some of the top males are in such demand, semen is collected from them daily, and semen samples can range from $3,500 to $10,000. I'm just shaking my head here. This I see is such that. a crazy story. I know. You think he's got a chance in court? I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I hope not. Yeah. You know, I knew they did this uh, collection in like horses, but I didn't know there was a whole dog industry related to this. Pretty pathetic, if you ask me. Peter, did you know that October is Adopt-A-Shelter Dog Month? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Good idea, though. It's a great idea. And, of course, here on Animals Today, we always encourage and promote adopting and saving a life from a shelter, whether it's a dog or cat or any other animal, versus buying from a breeder. I mean, we, we euthanize thousands, millions, millions. Still millions. Of do- still dogs and cats every year in our country shelters. Why? Would you ever want to buy from a breeder when there's any kind, shape, size, color dog you would want in a shelter? Why would you ever buy from a breeder? Is there any justification, Peter? None at all. None at all. Less than none. And uh, it turns out that the shelter pet was just designated as the official California state pet. Very good. Very apropos and very timely. That's right. So we're very excited about that. And, uh, you know, some other states have state dogs, but not every state has a state dog. And in Alaska, the Alaskan Malamute, that's the official state dog. Uh, Massachusetts has a state dog. Do you know what that is? Boston Terrier. Boston Terrier. Very, very good. In uh, uh, Pennsylvania has the Great Dane. I don't know why that is the state dog of Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, In Virginia, the American Foxhound. And in Wisconsin, the American Water Spaniel. Those are some state dogs, but most states do not have a state dog yet. So here is maybe an opportunity. Well, I like California having the shelter dog as its state dog. I think that's the best. We do have a California state animal, the grizzly bear is a California state animal. Why the grizzly bear? Do we still have grizzly bears in in California? No, we haven't had one live grizzly bear since 1922 when the last one was shot. Then about 30, more than 30 years later, the state decided that should be our official animal. I know it's on our flag. It's on our flag, but we have a dead animal as our official animal. Not, Not so good. California does have a state flower. The golden poppy is our flower. So okay. That, we got that. I guess that's nice. And we have a uh, state soil. A state soil. Soil, dirt. The San Joaquin soil filled with all those beautiful spores to infect your lungs. <laughs> that's our soil. Do other states have they official could only soil? Wish, they could only wish they had okay. a state soil. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.